hard-earned dollars being tinkered away like chump change after you pay your taxes. Well, I do. And how about American pro-lifers? Are you sick of your tax money being used to push abortion and the culture of death around the world? Well, the story that I have today where I'm shining light in dark places, it's a $4 billion annual story. And it's about a whistleblower. It's a whistleblower story. And I'm asking for your help to share this interview far and wide with your spheres of influence. It includes the $4 billion that we, like tax-paying idiots, give to the World Bank every year, sometimes more, sometimes less, along with the lies, manipulation, uh, cover-up, criminal activity. It includes information about George Soros, Bill Gates, the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton's campaign surrogates, and the Congressional Black Caucus. And a man born in Ethiopia who immigrated legally to the United States in 1978. He worked midnight shifts to finance his education. He earned his PhD, I believe it was PhD in economics from George Mason University. And his name is Jonas Baru. This is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? And today I want to get into your daring story of action where you are uh, exposing criminal falsification of the global poverty data uh, by the World Bank who takes billions of American tax dollars and um, and they, they you know we're their cash cow and so God bless you for exposing what they've done and we hope um, that you will have complete vindication you know when the time is right so welcome on to what have we been wrong well thank you very much Terry it's it's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to speak to you and, and to your audience uh, by way of introduction, uh, perhaps first it's important to, to describe what the World Bank is. Mm -hmm. uh, most people do not realize, do believe that the World Bank is just like any other bank in the U.S. Uh, the World Bank is a different animal altogether. Uh, it primarily mobilizes resources, collects money from rich countries such as the U.S. and Europe, and help the development efforts of developing countries in Africa, Asia, and so on. So they do not lend money here within the U.S., uh, but whatever money they collect from the U.S. and Europe, they lend it out to poor countries to help spur their development uh, with sometimes zero interest rate, but uh, at times very low interest rate. Mm -hmm. So that that is uh, very critical to understand what the World Bank is. Well, how long has America been contributing into the World Bank? Uh, actually, the, the America started the World Bank 
1946, right after the Second World War, primarily to help uh, European countries build back their uh, bridges, schools, hospitals, and uh, streets. So, so the whole purpose of it was more like a Marshall Plan for Europe. Right. That's why the World Bank was established. Okay. But soon after this goal was made, uh, other countries, particularly from poor developing countries in Africa, Asia, and, uh, and Latin America, uh, wanted to have the same kind of uh, facility that would mobilize resources from uh, countries such as the U.S. and help fund, uh, as I said, poor countries. So the U.S. has been part of the, you know, the, the largest fund provider as well as the host of the World Bank since its uh, inception, you can say. Right. Okay. And so, uh, so what? Now you enter the picture in what year? Because you you immigrated to the United States in 1978. Is that correct? I came. Yes, I came to the U.S. in 1978. I I am an Ethiopian. I was in in Ethiopia. That is. Uh, the time that uh, a communist government took the uh, took took the country over, uh, so I ran out of the country on foot to a neighboring country, a small country called Djibouti. Yeah. Uh, and from there, I migrated with a United Nations immigration visa. Okay. When I came here, I had twelve dollars to my name. Uh, so here I was in, in a foreign land with very rudimentary language capability, uh, but all I cared about was the next day um, I started looking around for jobs. So uh, ever since I came here in 78, I've been working hard. And, and you can imagine coming to a land that you don't know people and you have to learn the culture, the language. Uh, find yourself a place to stay and also find your, yourself a job. Uh, so as, as you mentioned in the intro, I started working in a hotel midnight shift um, to be able, I was working in Washington DC and then I'll uh, take the metro and go to uh, George Mason, which is a little outside of the Washington area. Um, right after work, after I finished my midnight shift to go to class, I was able to sleep only, you know, between four o'clock and seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Uh, and then I'm back again to work. This is how I financed my education. But once I finished my bachelor's and then my master's, uh, I was lucky to win what's called the John uh, Allen Fellowship. It's uh, a very prestigious and very conservative foundation that supported uh, PhD programs as well as think tanks uh, that are, you know, uh, pushing uh, conservative ideals and are doing conservative uh, economic thought. Right. So okay. that uh, very much helped me to complete my PhD mm -hmm. in economics. Now, I'm just curious, when you came to the States, did you know you wanted to pursue a degree in economics? Did you already know that? Uh, and no, I came in to do, my, my hope and plan was um, uh, to do science, either computer science, engineering, or maybe even uh, 
uh, to become a doctor, uh, mm-hmm. a medical doctor, most of the time as foreigners, when we come here, because of the language limitations, we gravitate toward this computer science, engineering, where we don't have to write a lot of papers right. and so on. But once I got into class, I really fell in love with, with economics. Okay. All right. So now we're going to fast track this real quick and we want to get into this whole World Bank thing. What happens and how do you discover the, the outright audacious fraud that's going on at the World Bank? So let's just kind of fast forward it. You end up with okay. a great career and, and you work your way up the ladder, right? Yes, indeed. I, I was, my last position at the World Bank was uh, a deputy global manager of the International Comparison Program. The, the program was responsible to, um, to measure and monitor the development of every country. For example, when we say the U.S. has a GDP of this or, or Japan has a GDP of that or in Kenya or in Brazil, uh, it's based on estimates that the countries uh, provide us and then we do more work on it and we publish that. So we are responsible to produce data for over 180, 190 countries. Mm-hmm. I was the second person in command for that project. Uh, what happened was the, um, the global manager retired and I was up for promotion. And I had an excellent track record as, as a deputy global manager of that work. In that transition period, I was monitoring the data work and one of the data we were producing was the number of poor in the world. Mm-hmm. This, this data is very critical. Uh, one, it is poor countries or developing countries in Africa, Asia and so on, depend on it to formulate their policies. It, for them, it's very important, mm-hmm. but also it's important for developed countries such as the U.S. and Europe and Japan, Australia, and so on. It is based on that data. They determine how much they are going to contribute to the development of these countries. All right. I, I already it, smell it now. Follow the money trail. <laughs> Follow the bit. money trail. So, so really, a, a poor country has a vested interest in jacking up their numbers. Um, but they didn't even have to do it. The UN did it for them, right? No. Okay. The, the, it's amazing that the poor countries do do not, even though they want to get as much money from rich countries, they, it's not in their best interest to show they are very poor because of the political cost in their country. Mm-hmm. If they come as the poorest, for example, then you know the government is going to face challenge, or at least you know. Uh, the people will will start to to rebel. Okay. So, right. but the World Bank basically, when that number came to me, and I said, no, there are flaws in this number. The way it was computed is not right, and the the end result would be we are going to have tons of millions of people poor than than they are. So I said, I'm not going to sign on this. Um, my immediate supervisor, an Iranian woman, called me and she said, Jonas, uh, we have to go with this number. You get a loan or you be quiet. 
And I said, I cannot be quiet because A, as a professional, I am responsible. B, as an African, we will be misleading these countries into using false data for their policies. So I knew that meant that I will not get my promotion. I also feared that they may terminate me, but it was hard for me to accept. So I um, informed this to the banks, to the World Bank on Beardsman, and also to the chief ethics officer. Uh, that is what got me in trouble. The Iranian, my Iranian boss, removed me from that project and denied me access to the data that I was responsible to oversee. Not only, did she, not only did she do that, mm -hmm. but she also took my privilege to access the data processing software. So I was totally, completely removed from it. Even though what you I, were the deputy global manager over all that data. At that point, because the global manager had retired, without having the name, I was the one running the shop, that, okay. that department, that unit. So, so I was the, the primary person. Mm -hmm. uh, and the person who was particularly ca calculating this number, a Russian guy, has two PhDs, one in nuclear physics from Russia, and he came over to the US and did another PhD at Harvard, so he's a brilliant economist. He knew the numbers were wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said he is not going to change it. But to, to just move forward, what happened was the number that they used ended up inflating the number of poor in the world by over 600 million. Oh, my gosh. So, so, so what, what, what was the, the approximately the correct number? The correct number, as it was later computed by top-level external experts, was five, the world had at the time, we're talking about 2010, at the time the world had about 571 million poor. Most of them in Asia uh, because of uh, the Indian population and so on. Uh, then you have Africa, which had about 300 or close, yes, over 300 million poor. Uh, but the World Bank's estimate that the, with the manipulated data, and I knew the data was manipulated because I had the evidence. Right. Uh, the bank's estimate was 1.2 billion poor. So when you have 1.2 billion poor, of course you go to the US and you go to Europe and say, look how many poor we have in the world. This is how many people that we have to help feed, help go to school, and also promote development in this country so that they would not feel, you know, uh, compelled to run away from their country and then flood Europe and the U.S. So the end result was when President Bush left office in 2008 or beginning of 2009 when, uh, when uh, President Obama took office, the U.S.'s contribution to the World Bank for four years prior to this data was published was about 2.6 billion a year with a B billion a year. Well, and I just need to interrupt right here because I think for listeners, 
I think it's important for us to understand they're coming to the United States. I mean, they jacked up their numbers, falsified them by 47%. They increased it. And so they come to us as taxpayers expecting us to keep digging and digging deeper. And uh, th this is infuriating. And every American should care, you know, because the poor people are getting ripped off. Taxpayers being ripped off. Okay, so, but go, go ahead. I, I know I interrupted so, you. Go ahead. Okay, so for four years, the, the second term of President Bush, the U.S. on average was contributing about 26 uh, or 2.7 billion a year. Mm -hmm. Right after this manipulated data was published, and for four years, the U.S. contribution jumped to 4.5 billion, almost double. Not quite, but you know. So when the poverty number, the number of poor in the world, was doubled, just as a snap of a finger by manipulating the data. Of course, the end result was Europe gave more money, and I don't have the exact numbers with me, but I know for sure in the U.S., the first four years of the Obama administration, the average annual contribution to the World Bank was 4.5, so almost double of what was given to it during the, um, the Bush administration. Again, quick question: When was the when was the data manipulated? Was it during Bush's era or Obama? Um, it was the data was published right before the Bush administration was to leave office. Okay, all right. Isn't that but convenient came, for the Obama administration? <laughs> yeah. It it came to light. I brought this out to light in two thousand nine. And let's pause right there, Jonas, okay, because we need to take a hard break. Be right back. American taxpayers, if it's money that motivates you, stay tuned. If it's the pro-life issue, because because you're sick of our money being spread around the world to kill babies in the womb, stay tuned. Uh, something is in this for you, and we'll be right back. The Out Loud Perspective awaits you in life, love, politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Blitzer News and Entertainment Network, where you can listen 24-7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, I'm back with Jonas Baru, and he is sharing about his experience at working at the World Bank and discovering the corruption that is costing American taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. And every single one of us ought to care. I mean, even if the only thing that motivates you is money, but the part we're gonna cover right now is this connection between the World Bank uh, and then uh, President Obama uh, the Clintons, and then with the current president of the World Bank and what this has to do with population control. And so, Giannis, uh, kind of fill us in here. What's the connection of, you know, between oh. the Clintons and Obama? Kind of give okay. us the footing. Good. Um, even before, if I may, uh, get to that, uh, as we said earlier, the World Bank was established to help Europe, and soon after, 
it took a new um, dimension, a new mission, if you will, and that was to help poor countries develop. And for 50 years after the West, Europeans, you know, the, the US as well as Australia and Japan spent $2.3 trillion, the World Bank and other international organizations such as the UN were not able to alleviate poverty or to end poverty. If anything, the, the situation was getting worse. This caused uh, international institutions, conservative institutions in particular, such as the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institutes, started saying, why are we giving the World Bank money? We should to shut them up. Exactly. At, at yep. that point, what happened was the World Bank's mission with, uh, it started uh, in the, I think, 1980s, but when President Clinton was in office, they shifted the responsibility of the World Bank as part of its mission, con population control became among the top items on its to-do list. With the population control, of course, becomes um, reproductive issues, reproductive care, and with that, abortion becomes a prominent um, means to the end. Mm -hmm. so, so this is how the World Bank was established to end poverty. They were not able to do that because of the corruption and so on. Their mission crept crept into um, population control, which includes, of course, um, uh, abortion. And I, wa I want to interject here, and I think it's important for people to understand, abortion is not health care. That's the lie that Dr. Bernard Nathanson sold to the American public. Uh, he's the founder of NARAL, and he, he admits to deceiving the United States Supreme Court, and then he trained Planned Parenthood doctors on how to kill babies in the womb. And he admits to unleashing this abortion monster onto America, training Planned Parenthood, who then took the bull by the horns and now is, is you know among the leaders of forcing abortion into other countries. And, of course, we do it through policies, and we tie our, our dollars, our giveaway, well, we... A lot of times it's not even in our control. It's it's through, like just like that, with the World Bank. And so now explain to us, how does the dollar get tied to abortion? Yes. Okay, so when the President Clinton in 1998, I believe, or 1999, started pushing population control, if we cannot help develop, you know, the poor countries, because their population is growing, they would not have enough to eat or enough schools and so on. So the best policy as part of this development agenda is population control. And with the population control, for example, uh, some of the things the World Bank has been uh, uh, advocating in poor countries is making the morning after pills uh, to kids as young as 12 mm. and free of charge. So now, when President Obama took power, the current president of the World Bank, a Korean-American by the name Jim Yong Kim, is a Harvard medical doctor. He has no experience in banking, has no experience in finance or, or um, uh, economics. Unbelievable. So, it's almost so, unbelievable, but keep on. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
at the strong recommendation of the Clintons, the Obama administration nominated the Korean-American to be the president of the World Bank. And again, going back a little bit, uh, uh, the, the current World Bank president was one of the people who helped establish the Clinton Foundation when he was, um, I believe, chair of the Harvard uh, Health Center. Mm-hmm. He has been working with them for so long. So people, particularly those of us who, uh, yeah, I was gone by, those in the World Bank, as long as well as other development experts said, what does this guy know about development? What does this guy know about economics or finance or banking to leave the World Bank? But the agenda, of course, was that when he was at Harvard, he had created this health program that considers health care as a human right. And as part of that health care, he has included reproductive health, including abortion, to be a birth right or a human right. So he was the perfect person to lead the World Bank's abortion revolution. As we know, the, the Clintons love abortion. They, lo- they can't get enough of it. Keep on. <laughs> it, yes, and another connection also is, it's not only with the Clintons that uh, the current president is uh, uh, working closely with, but the other person that he works closely with was uh, George Soros and Bill Gates. Actually, in one of uh, the newspapers, he was asked, what do you see the highlight, the highlight of your career? And he said the highlight of his career was when George Soros and Bill Gates gave him seed money to create his health program at Harvard. So he had deep roots. But what we also found was a confidential memo or a confidential, actually not memo, thousands of pages of documents from the Soros Foundation that exposed how the Soros Foundation um, controls the World Bank, particularly in two areas, health and education. So, so the, the health and education, of course, are his entry point into controlling the bank. Now, what made my story relevant within this is that uh, when I exposed this data falsification that resulted into more than doubling the number of poor in the world, which ended up getting twice as much money from the U.S. taxpayers, uh, I was terminated. Whoa, they terminated you. They terminated me, but the issue is this. They cannot terminate me as a whistleblower because they don't want that story to come out. What what they said was that, you know, as I said earlier, I was up for promotion to become the global manager of this, the largest project in the World Bank. Uh, That's a bit of a problem for them because you're... (laughs) Because you, yes. you're you're fully aware of the falsification, and you're politically conservative, and you believe in free enterprise, and you're recognizing how George Soros has his hands all over everything. So, Giannis, you said they terminated you, but why did they terminate you? You know, what 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 goods did they have on you? Okay, that was the most important part of the whole saga, 
because for as a deputy global manager for eight years, I had an outstanding, and when I say outstanding, I'm quoting them, uh, performance year after year. And they've been giving me a stellar performance record. So they could not say I was not qualified. Mm-hmm. But what they said was, we cannot give you the global manager position because, and I'm quoting, Europeans are not used to seeing a black man in a position of power. No way. They used yes. a racial reason. Oh my gosh. They, well, wait, were these that, white people above you? No, that is a, this, this was the Iranian woman. Okay. Uh, a Chinese, a <laughs> Turkish. No, it's unbelievable. And, <laughs> yeah, and a Lithuanian. Okay, and it's this is hard to believe, but this story has been published. Breitbart News. Oh, Breitbart uh, News covered it. Breitbart News. Did, yeah. Okay, give me a date or at least a month on that. Breitbart News. Okay, or how did somebody in, find it? Yeah, it's July 2016. It's June or July 2016. Okay, hey, listen, uh, I just want people to know that when this gets turned into a podcast, we will make sure that link is on. America Out Loud, my page on on America Out Loud, okay? So, okay. Yes. Whoa. And also, The Hill has okay. uh, one of the conservative African-Americans, Armstrong Williams, oh, yeah. uh, published an excellent piece where he said, not only did they tell me that, uh, the, you know, they cannot give me the position because Europeans are not used to seeing a black man in a position of power, but they went beyond that. They went and degraded my record, my, my official performance record, um, from, and removed everything about my management uh, performance, went as far as going on their website, removing my title, Deputy Global Manager, removing my management accomplishments. Everything was wiped out, and they reintroduced me as a technical person. Wow. And there is a reason for that. And the reason is, if I'm a whistleblower, if I was the manager of the project and I said that the World Bank falsified the poverty numbers to maximize the money they're collecting from American taxpayers, European taxpayers, I will have credibility. But if I am one of the 31 people who were working on that project, then I will not have as much credibility. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happened then was, um, and this is also documented, fully documented by one of the U.S. senators, Chris Van Hollen, in a 73-page document. Where is Chris from? What state? Uh, he's in Maryland. Maryland he's, uh, yes. Okay. So he has a 73-page document where he also lists that I was told you know, they cannot give that position for to a black person. But what happened was, um, you know, American civil rights leaders, leaders of about 500 churches and so on, um, as well as the U.S. government, pressured the World Bank to restore my record. They agreed to restore my record internally in my internal HR files, personnel files, but they said they would not restore my record on their website. In other words, 
they would not remove the falsified record from their website. When they were asked why, they said, my official record, my official performance record is too good to be true for a black man. Wow, that, that's incredible. It's incredible. This is well, did you ever put it in front of like the Congressional Black Caucus? I mean, you would, you would think the Congressional Black Caucus would be your biggest ally in the United States of America. So what happened there? Did you do it? Yes. I, my story got published not only in the U.S., around the world. And I got an email from Congresswoman Maxine Waters' office. Her senior officer sent me an email saying that we read about your story. We're very sorry. We want to help you, and we want to know how we may be of help. And, of course, I was very excited. Yeah. She's a very powerful woman. Sure. She's a very vocal woman. On top of that, she is the ranking member, the top Democrat in the Congressional Financial Committee. So I said, this is the right person that can help me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was as I, uh, uh, the, the current president of the World Bank is a very close friend of uh, George Soros. When George Soros got married, he and Nancy Pelosi were the two that gave the toast. That that tells you how close he is. Nancy Pelosi went to George Soros's wedding. Well, yeah, my yes, Nancy Pelosi went to George Soros's wedding. The president of the World Bank and Nancy Pelosi were the two people who gave the toast. Oh at the my wedding. gosh! Okay, all right. So, it goes from bad to worse. Okay. <laughs> So it tells you how close the World Bank president to Soros is. Oh, yeah. He went to the Sor- Soros. He went to Clinton, uh, pre- uh, Hillary Clinton, and to the Obama administration to tell them make the Congressional Black Caucus stop helping this guy. Hmm. And interestingly, um, you know, I, as I said, I didn't contact Maxine Waters. She, her office contacted me. And they, I, you know, I was communicating with them. Then I got a nasty email from her office saying that you, you should stop complaining even if your story is true. And this is by email, okay? It's not even by phone. And wait, this came and, from Maxine Waters, one of her staff people? Senior staff people. Senior staff people. Okay, so they told you to shut up? They told me not only to shut up and do not email us anymore. I said, fine, but at that point, 24 Congressional Black Caucus people had signed a petition demanding the Obama administration do something about my situation because I was terminated. I don't have a a personal record because my personal record was uh, retroactively degraded. Mm -hmm. Everything I have in the public, which was, you know, excellent, has been removed and replaced by very damaging defamatory remarks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this 24 Congressional Black Caucus people were pushing Obama to do something, and all of a sudden I got another email that says they have withdrawn their signatures. So, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus All withdrew- 24 of them. <gasps> 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so so the is this then the Harvard, uh, I mean, the president of the World Bank pulling the strings of Obama? Uh, yes. And the whole, uh, he, okay. He is Obama's golf partner. He's a very good buddy of uh, Obama. Uh, he, uh, from the inception, he was involved in the Clinton Foundation, as I said. George Soros gives money to all, you know, democratic lawmakers. So when these three people make a call, the Congressional Black Caucus said, you know, drop Giannis. But what he, they made him do is, since this is a racial discrimination issue because uh, of, you know, uh, this is too good to be true for a black man issue is, uh, of course, racial, uh, they made him promise, the World Bank president, made him promise to launch a very af aggressive affirmative action. Okay, and with that idea, Giannis, we're going to come back, and right after this break, we're going to dig into, well, what did this affirmative action effort actually look like? What did it do? And, um, and then we're going to dig deeper into this whole, um, what the World Bank is doing with this population control and, and, and what we as American citizens can do and how we can uh, really come beside you and, and begin to expose. So we'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Okay, we're back with Giannis, and um, you've explained now the history of the World Bank and then the history of how you uncovered how they're falsifying the global uh, poverty numbers, and that all has to do with the magic dollar. The more they can jack up the poverty numbers, the more money from the wealthy countries, uh, like the you know, United States and over in Europe, the more money the World Bank receives. And of course, I'm going to say it right now, what needs to happen is, is under President Trump, we stop giving any money to the World Bank. It's a corrupt organization. And I hope, Giannis, we can create a national movement uh, you know, to really get behind you with, with millions of people in support of stopping any dollar. If the United States wants to give money to a poor country, which of course we want to help poor people, it needs to be directly between the United States and these poor countries. It does not need to go through a middleman, which has 10,000 employees in Washington, D.C. I mean, it is corrupt from the inside out. And so in your mind, what needs to happen next? Okay, what needs to happen is, uh, one thing uh, perhaps I, I forgot to mention is that in 2014, Congress passed a law because of my case. 
And the World Bank as an international organization cannot be sued in, in the US or anywhere else. So what that law did was in 2014, December 2014, it said if the World Bank does not resolve whistleblowing cases, the US government will stop funding it. Mm-hmm. That is when the, the current World Bank president pulled all the strings, political strings, to stop the Obama administration from enforcing the law. So, so that is a critical uh, piece of the puzzle. Now, the next issue is the reason why I suffered that I have suffered, that they went to the extent of destroying my record internally and externally and making me someone who cannot be hired by anyone because the kind of information they put on their website, you know, you, would, you wouldn't hire someone like that. The reason they have done that is to give a lesson to others within the World Bank, the 10,000 staff, if you dare whistleblow on what we do, not only would we fire you, but we will make sure you, you will not be able to work anywhere else we will destroy your career. That is the message that they they are sending. That's why whether it's the pro-life people in the World Bank or uh, pro-market advocates are silenced by fear. Mm -hmm. The only way that could be resolved is if the Trump administration comes and says, we have a law, we are a nation of laws. Therefore, since you have not agreed to resolve whistleblowing cases through external uh, arbitration, we will not provide you with money. That is the ideal thing, because if that happens, then transparency shows this institution has corrupted, misused resources, and so on, and that will be the end of the bank's manipulation of not only U.S. taxpayers, but also poor countries in Africa, right. in Asia, and the Middle East. What well, we can do... Well, I, think, uh, well, I think it's important is we need to explain how are these poor African uh, countries being manipulated. You know, you take Ethiopia. Or walk us through some of those examples, because most okay. American taxpayers, Giannis, do not understand the pressure these poor African countries are under. I mean, most of these countries are, are Christian countries, right? Yes. Um, what's, uh, let, what's being forced upon them because of this World Bank? Okay, let me, let me give you two examples that have been um, raised recently. And one is, of course, abortion. Most of the African countries are very religious. You know, you said Ethiopia. Ethiopia is, by many surveys, the most religious country because some 97% of the people say they strongly believe Mm -hmm. in God Mm -hmm. and they regularly go to church, not only on Sundays, but also during the weekends. Now, now just to be clear, are we talking about 97% are Christian? Are you adding in Muslims? No, no. I I don't know how the questions went, but what what the the survey showed was 95%. Ethiopia is about... 60% 60% Christian, 40% Muslim, okay. uh, 97% of the people who were 
uh, interviewed or, or the survey showed. Right, okay. Uh, yes. So what happens is now, imagine the World Bank going to Ethiopia with $1.5 billion. And what it says is, we're ready to give you, you know, $1.5 billion for schools, for, you know, girls' uh, education, for bridges and for roads and so on. However, part of that is 100 million of that would be for health, of which 50 million of it will have to be for reproductive health, including abortion. The Ethiopians or the Kenyans or the Ugandans or the Brazilians or Asians do not have the luxury of saying, no, keep the 50 or the 100 million you're giving us for reproductive health, give us the rest for education, for bridges and for agriculture and so on. They cannot do that. They either have to take the 1.5 million billion or they say, no, thank you, go back with your 1.5 billion. And so when we're talking about a Christian country where abortion is illegal. They don't want this culture of death that America has embraced for 40 some years. They don't want, they value life in the womb. This is, this is a big thing to get across. And so it's forced down their throats. And when you are a poor country, so what you see is, okay, we'll take the $1.5 billion. And so it is enforced. It's that money for reproductive health becomes a condition for you to get that money. Mm. Uh, I know of a case where a number of people, religious leaders and so on, came to the U.S. and uh, wanted to talk to one of the, uh, the leaders, the conservative leaders in Congress, Congressman uh, Chris um, uh, Chris Smith, Smith. yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, but they didn't want, you know, it to be publicized. Be because if the news comes out, uh, this is going to affect the money that they're getting from oh, yeah. uh, the World Bank and from the UN organizations. Right. So the, the next question now is really, in what way the U.S., you know, uh, either pro-abortion, uh, pro-life people, or people who believe in market economy and freedom of the people to do what they may without government intervention, in what way can they help these countries? Mm -hmm. Right now, most of the African countries cannot stand up against a force such as the World Bank when it, if that means losing 1.52 billion, you know, half a billion dollars, whatever the amount may be for each country. But if an American force, if a group of, let's say, um, pro-life groups in the U.S. were to be coordinated and work with the Africans and be the voice for these people, then the people in Africa and there are many pro-life groups in Africa, but they do not have power. Mm -hmm. If this kind of help comes from the U.S., A, the local pro-life people will be empowered, and B, even the government officials who do not believe in, in abortion or in gay rights or in any of these other uh, rights uh, could also feel encouraged, empowered, to say, no, it's not right for you to come with, you know, uh, a condition 
uh, what the money you're giving us for bridges or for agriculture should not be tied with money you're giving us for reproductive health. We are willing to go to forget, you know, for, um, lose the money for pro reproductive health. Right. Keep that money, but give us the remaining because we need it for uh, all this other uh, development purposes. Right, but, so the, that, but the communists who push this kind of culture of death, I mean, they're not satisfied until these countries are killing their own children. And, and the other factor that, that I just so many times is left out is as they're pushing abortion into these uh, countries, Jonas, that's one of the main precursors to breast cancer. And so what we've seen in the countries that have embraced abortion is breast cancer has gone through the roof. Like in America, it's the leading cause of death for women between the ages of 20 and 59. And so now, so the, the, oh my gosh, it's just like one big vicious circle of the culture of death. It, you know, it's, it's, there is also a difference. Uh, for example, in, here in the U.S., whether it's con contraceptives or morning after pills, uh, the people or the woman or the girl will have to go and buy it out of pocket. Mm -hmm. What is happening now in most African countries is that the World Bank and other international agencies are pushing to make them available free of charge. Mm -hmm. So where does this money come? Of course, the African governments are not using their own tax money for this. Right. This money has to come from outside. I have a friend who's who's from Kenya, and she has lots of ties to Kenya. She actually works in in D.C. and um and the book that I wrote, what if we've been wrong? She gave me a fantastic quote, and I'm just paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it says something to the effect of, uh, uh, um, let's see, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, Kenyan girls don't need your abortion money. We need money for education, but we don't need your abortion money. And they're forcing it. And she said it's all Kenya can do to try to keep Planned Parenthood out of their country. But it's being ramrodded in. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, I, the, I, I believe yesterday or day before, I learned that Bill Gates' father was a board member for Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bill Gates. I mean, he grew up with that whole mindset of population control. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the way I look at this is, you know, do, do you want the, you know, just in general, as a citizen, do you want your government to look at you as just an object or do you want to be considered as, um, you know, created in the image of God? And, and we know what happens when governments just look at people as objects, as material. It's easy to do away with them. And so if you've got this mindset of population control, because you think it, it's just incredible. I mean, God says be fruitful, multiply. And the problem is corrupt governments and then corrupt organizations like the uh, World Bank. And so when you put those two working together, you know, so would you say most, but, but you did say most of the African countries are, uh, are religious countries. They do not want abortion. What, so here's my question. How many, if you know, how many of the African countries have allowed abortion um, to become legalized? Okay, we are in the process of we're going country by country, not only to determine how many countries, but when did they change that law? And what was the catalyst for that change, whether it's externally imposed mm -hmm. or internally? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably within a week time, we will have a full picture of that. Okay. Because right, uh, what's not being told to women is that abortion is one of the leading risk factors for breast cancer. And they had the you know women in America haven't been told, and women over in 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 Africa have not been told. It's the leading. It's one one of the top two. How much estrogen they get exposed to, and whether or not they had an abortion. Uh, actually, you know, I, I I forgot the name. There was a a person from Ghana mm-hmm. who was um, again, and and also another person who is working at the IMF. They were leading a movement against Bill Gates to go out of Africa. We don't need your billions Mm -hmm. because the destruction you're creating, the number of babies that are dying because of you and because of all this uh, contraceptives that that he is making available that had made, you know, people um, have died. There is a record of that. Oh, yeah. They had him fired from his job. Uh, It's only after... Congressman Chris Smith got involved that he got his job back. Hmm. So the, the point I just wanted to make is this. When you look at how the pro-abortion group works in collaboration, um, the way, you know, the Soros and the Bill Gates and um, the Buffett's the World Bank uh, collaborates and and not only within the U.S., across the world, that they do have their own um, pro-abortion or pro-choice group, the equivalent of that at the international level does not exist. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is what is lacking. Here you have powerful international organizations armed with billions of dollars supported by an army of 10,000 World Bank staff, pushing this policy in poor countries. On the other hand, there is no counter force that is as organized. So that is what we are trying to create. Well, I want to be part of your counter force uh, and, and having made Dr. Bernard Nathanson the promise to teach America how he deceived our courts, our legislatures, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, mind you, uh, doctors, clergy, and then, Giannis, he trained Planned Parenthood on how to kill babies in the womb. Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. at that point was, were, was not involved in abortions. He trained them. They took copious notes for two years. And I promised him I would teach America, you know, the strategy of how he deceived this country. And, and the, you know, the worst part about it, too, is he then watched Planned Parenthood grow, morph into this gigantic international abortuary, killing babies around the world. They cannot get enough blood. And so, um, Giannis, we're, I, I'm going to be very supportive of this cause. Uh, we're running out of time. I need you to tell us real quickly, what do you want people to do? What is the action item? The, the action item is really to call their congressman and woman and to say stop funding the World Bank until they comply with our laws and until they stop using our tax money for abortion. 
Okay. And until they stop forcing poor countries to implement this their policies. But what hurts the World Bank the most is the money. If the, the US government were to stop the you know the four billion dollars a year, uh, it's going to be a major setback to the World Bank. Uh, so and, and the World Bank responds to political pressure. As I said, they are do not respond to any legal authority because they are immune from lawsuits and US courts. Exactly. It's all about the money. So what we're about out of time at the end of the day. This is about President Donald Trump needs to make sure we stop funding the World Bank because it's the money that talks and they can go just spend George Soros's money, but they don't deserve another dollar from uh, American taxpayers. This is corruption at the core of corruption. It's wrong and we and we we as American citizens, so I'm going to ask in addition to encouraging people to call their congressmen, call your senators, make these demands just like Yana said, but also want you to email me. Email me at uh, terry at hosea4u.org or info at hosea4u.org. That's I-N-F-O at H-O-S-E-A, the number four, uh, Y-O-U dot O-R-G, hosea4u.org. I want to I want to collect as many names as possible and let's get momentum in all 50 states and this is not the last bit my listeners will have heard of this we're going to get behind you Giannis and we're going to grow the momentum okay thank you for thank being you. on I really appreciate it thank you God bless you 